Hi everybody, this is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. I would like to start by wishing you a happy discount candy eve, or I guess some people call it Valentine's Day. Actually, by the time this is released, it might be discount candy day. Happy discount candy day, everyone. I would also like to apologize a little bit in advance because my voice, as you may be able to tell, is kind of shot right now. I'm kind of falling apart. I mean, physically. Mentally, I'm the same level of falling apart as I've always been. But physically, I engaged in some strenuous activity recently and really tore up my throat and sprained my knee. You know, singing karaoke at a friend's birthday party. I mean, in my defense, I was singing Superstar by the Carpenters. So when I went to the doctor and they asked how I sprained my knee, pretty much all I had to say was, you know that Carpenter song, Superstar? And they're like, oh, oh, we get a lot of that in here. Anyway, so I've spent the last week or so sounding like Super Dave Osborne. Uh, If you're not sure who Super Dave Osborne is, uh, please go to your local library. A surprising amount of people don't know who Super Dave Osborne is. Really, I don't know what they teach children in school these days. Anyway, also wanted to just give you a note on the top that Corey was called out of town unexpectedly on some business. So we have a very special guest fill-in right now. It is Brian Mumford from the musical projects Dragging an Ox Through Water, Sunfoot, and the Deep Fried Boogie Band. I think he did a great job, and I hope you like it. Tell you what, without any further ado, let's ado this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Josh G. Josh, I'm having a little bit of trouble with the meter on this, but I'm going to do my best. Like Trigon, who's looking mean, born for Hawk and sunscreen. Like the doctor pushing bulbs of light, Grismo drinking cans of Sprite. Or Robin selling electrolysis. Here's my kick in new synopsis. Thanks, Josh. Teen Titans, number nine. July, 1981. Like puppets on a string. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titan Roll Call. Beast Boy. Cyborg. Kid Flash. Raven. Robin. Starfire. Wonder Girl. Previously in New Teen Titans. A secret organization of robed assholes who call themselves HIVE, a nonsensical acronym that stands for Hierarchy of International Vengeance and Extermination, have a vaguely bee-themed headquarters and sure would like to kill the Teen Titans. After the death of his father, Cyborg has transitioned from being written as an angry young black man to being written as magically full of wisdom and has started mentoring a group of young children who are missing limbs and helping them come to terms with their disabilities. As for the rest of the Titans, oh boy. Starfire has become a fashion model, Robin is working at the circus, although we never get to see the circus, which is bullshit, Kid Flash is full of angst and might want to quit being a superhero, Wonder Girl is dating a divorced college professor, Raven feels pretty good about herself, and Beast Boy doesn't want to run his rich stepdad's company, Dayton Industries. Phew, that's a lot of character development. Anything else? Oh yeah, evil puppets have been murdering the board members of Dayton Industries. Gadzooks! Will Beast Boy stop being such a dick and do something about his murdered employees? Are the other Titans cool with the divorced college professor dating one of their teenage teammates? And will we finally get to see Robin at his part-time circus gig? Stay tuned! Okay, so yes, but very reluctantly. No, they all think it's rad. And no, which is still bullshit. The issue kicks off with the death of Harry Appleton, another member of the board of Dayton Industries. He is shot to death in his office by a bunch of puppets and toy soldiers. Hmm, I'm starting to see a pattern develop. Beast Boy is informed of Harry's death by the delightfully named Vernon Quester, 
Vernon is Beast Boy's stepdad Steve's secretary, who is very resentful about babysitting for Gar or something ever since Steve went missing a few months ago. Wait a minute. Gar's stepdad has been missing for months? Huh. Who would have thought that'd be a bigger deal for Gar? Especially seeing as his birth parents died, his next legal guardian tried to kill him, and his adopted mom and fellow Doom Patrol teammates also died. Man, I'm starting to see why Vernon is so opposed to babysitting Gar. And why Gar isn't so keen on being babysat. Garfield storms off to his room to brood about how he doesn't want to investigate any stupid murders of his stupid company's stupid board members. Suddenly, his heretofore unmentioned spidey sense starts tingling. Good thing it does, because seconds later a bunch of goddamn puppets try to murder him. Fucking puppets. The shape-changing teen manages to turn into a gorilla in time to foil the killer puppet's plans by cleverly smashing the shit out of his foot-tall wooden assailants. Phew, that was close. Vernon seems oddly nonplussed by the assassination attempt. Hmm, it's almost as though there's something sinister about the administrative assistant who's been put in charge of a missing billionaire's business empire during his unexplained absence. But that would be unprecedented in fiction. I probably misread that situation. Beast Boy finally decides that the murder of four men might merit an investigation. He calls on the aid of his favorite bare-legged boy detective, Robin. Vernon explains to the titanic twosome of teen heroes that the quartet of killed committee members were all overseeing the research of an experiment called Project Prometheum. Prometheum is a magical, er, super scientific substance, which is a self-regenerating source of matter and energy that can be used to do pretty much anything. Using science. You know, scientifically. Questor goes on to inform the teens that he has a suspect in the murders. It seems that one of the scientists involved in the project was the former supervillain Jordan Weir, a.k.a., wait for it, the Puppet Master. You don't say. For some reason, Questor seems to think that the puppet-themed criminal who they recently hired might just be involved with the death-dealing dummies who did in four of the overseers of Project Prometheum. Robin and Gar head over to Weir's apartment to investigate. When they arrive, a robot fashioned to look like Weir tries to blow them up. Hmm. You know what? I'm starting to think the Puppet Master might just be involved in this after all. Sure enough, we see the Puppet Master in one of his creepy ventriloquist dummy creations watching the Titans narrowly escape their demise on a super sciencey looking view screen. Weir has a high-tech suit on and is no longer calling himself Puppet Master. Good. That was kind of a silly name. Instead, he has adopted the moniker The Puppeteer. Wow. Totally different. The puppeteer and his puppet pal report to their bosses that their first attempt at the Titan's termination has failed, but not to worry, they have more puppet-related plans. Oh, good. And just who are the bosses pulling the strings of the puppeteer? Why, those hooded assholes. Hive, of course. I mean, why else would I have brought them up in the previously in Teen Titans? We haven't seen them since the second issue. Anyway, Hive are pissed that the puppeteer hasn't stolen the Prometheum yet or killed the Titans, and the puppeteer is scared of Hive, so it's time for phase two of his shitty sinister scheme. More on that later. Meanwhile, Cyborg is hanging out at the school for kids with prosthetic limbs where he's been volunteering. The kids there all seem to love him, but not quite as much as their teacher, a pretty blonde lady named Sarah Sims, who gives Vic a big ol' smooch and says that she loves him. Nice. Today, Vic has asked Raven to join him. It seems the kids have been asking him if she can fix their injuries and help them grow their limbs back. Vic knows she can't do that, but for some reasons figures that it would be better if she disappoints the young disabled children to their faces. Seems like a dick move to me, but both Raven and the kids seem to think that was a great plan and very sensitive and thoughtful of Victor to orchestrate it. Huh. Okay. 
Raven and Cyborg leave the school, talking about what a great dude Cyborg is when they are attacked by Batman. What? Okay, it's a tiny Batman puppet. Apparently, phase two of the puppeteer's shitty scheme is underway. The Batman puppet jams some kind of device onto Victor that takes control of his body and puts him under the puppeteer's control. Oh, so he doesn't just control puppets, he controls people and makes them his puppets. Seems like he could just skip the actual puppet part and go right for the mind control, but... Hey, what do I know? You're the supervillain. You do you. A puppeted-up cyborg attacks his teammate by throwing a tree at her. Damn. Raven goes all Doctor Strange and astrally projects her soul self off to seek the aid of the other Titans. First stop on the Astral Projection Express is Blue Valley, where Raven tells Kid Flash that she needs his help. Wally tells her he's retired, but she says it's important, so off he goes. Hooray! The Junior Wizard of Wiz arrives in New York seconds later, and immediately has his mind taken over by the puppeteer. Whoops. Raven's next stop is the apartment of Donna's divorcee boyfriend, or should I say, man-friend, Terry Long. Starfire and Donna have been hanging out there with Terry, talking about the fact that Terry isn't creepy at all. Fair enough. At Raven's insistence, the two heroes head off to the fray, leaving Terry to grade his students' papers. Raven's astral form merges back with her body just as Starfire and Wonder Girl arrive at the park. The Amazonian teen and her space princess pal confront Cyborg and want to know what gives with the tree-throwing and the evil being, but immediately are attacked by the puppeted-up Vic and Wally, and wouldn't you know it, Wendy and Starfire end up all puppeted themselves. Dang it, Raven! Meanwhile, at Dayton Industries, Robin and Gar are doing their damnedest to convince the few remaining living members of the board that they might want to be concerned. Seriously. Four of them have been murdered, three of them alive, and the alive ones refuse to believe that they might be in any danger. Horny teenagers in a slasher movie have better self-preservation instincts than these corporate bozos. Did I just say bozos? Shit. Cyborg must be rubbing off on me. The bozos in question are in the process of explaining to Robin that Weir couldn't possibly murder anyone because, I shit you not, he's too slim. Raven teleports into the boardroom to warn her unpuppeted teammates that their mind-control compatriots are approaching with malice on their mindless minds. Sure enough, seconds later, Starfire bursts through the wall of the office and starts starbolting the place up. She is soon followed by Wally, Cyborg, and Donna, all of whom have been mesmerized into marauding marionettes. The two teams of Titans tussle. Things are at a bit of a standstill until Wally accidentally spins around real fast, which manages to free him of the puppeteer's influence. Hooray! With his self-determination re-established, the young speedster manages to use his powers to somehow free Starfire. Raven uses her magic powers to help Wonder Girl tap into her deep reserves of willpower and free herself, and Robin frees Cyborg by... well, apparently by kicking him in the balls real hard. Huh. Yeah, I can see that pretty much breaking any mind control. The once again self-determined squadron of super teens follow Wally to the puppeteer's hideout. Wally's able to sense the lines of control that Weir had been using to manipulate them. Yeah, I can see how having the power to run real, real fast would allow you to do that. Why not? The teens Kool-Aid man their way through the wall and confront their erstwhile Svengali. A panicked puppeteer deploys his entire retinue of murderous minions against the Titans. Wave after wave of bloodthirsty animated playthings mercilessly attack our heroes with all of their might. And the Titans blow them all to smithereens within seconds. Of course they do. I mean, evil puppets are creepy as fuck, but come on, they're still just puppets. Unfortunately for our heroes, during the brief one-sided battle, the puppeteer manages to make his escape. He grabs onto a jetpack accessory to ventriloquist dummy, and the two fly away over the New York skyline. 
Unfortunately for them, the hooded assholes from Hive have been watching the whole encounter from their vaguely bee-themed headquarters. And if there's one thing the hierarchy of international vengeance and extermination hate even more than having an acronym that makes a goddamn lick of sense, it's failure. They fire up their ion cannon and blast the fleeing puppeteer out of the sky. I mean, it happens off-panel, but it totally seems like they killed him. I'm sure we've seen the last of him. Supervillains that die off-panel always stay dead, right? Speaking of supervillains, on the very last page, Deathstroke the Terminator, remember him from issue 2? He shows up at Dayton Industries, starts a fire, and steals the Prometheum. Damn. See, Puppeteer? That's how you steal some Prometheum. Not by having puppets murder businessmen for no apparent reason. Seriously, how is that shit supposed to work? If he wanted to steal that shit, didn't he already have access to it when he was a scientist who was working on the project? Seems like he just made all those murder puppets for fun. What an asshole. I'm glad he died off panel and is almost certainly going to stay dead forever. Hooray! And Corey is off this week. He has been kidnapped by evil scientists who are looking to gain control of his business empire. Don't worry, he'll be fine. This kind of shit happens to him all the time. In his stead... We have a special guest. It is Brian Mumford, who you may know through his musical projects, Dragging an Ox Through Water, Sunfoot, and the Deep Fried Boogie Band. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good to be here. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. <laughs> so, uh, what'd you think? Uh, I liked it. I This was actually my very first experience with the, the Teen Titans, and it was pretty uh, pretty eye-opening. Would you consider yourself woke now? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spectacularly woke. Yeah, this was a... Pretty fun issue, and and overall I thought a pretty good one. Kind of an interesting one to be introduced to the characters on, so I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. So let's just go through the issue. I've, I've got a few questions for you. First off, just off the very top, I fucking love the cover of this. Oh yeah, that's right. I was looking at the cover because uh, the the one that I was looking at, I it had like a slightly different version of it, but that's incredible though. It's the the art on this issue in general, I, I feel is really high quality. It's by George Perez. It's, it's real pretty and I like it. And the cover of this looks a lot like, I think it was not the Backstreet Boys, but their nemeses. Oh, in sync. Yeah, Didn't yeah, they have an album right. cover that yeah. looked like that? Yeah. I, I know you're kind of an in sync expert. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, they, they so, were all like uh, on on puppet strings, maybe sure. under plastic too. I'm not. But uh, very reminiscent, and and I assume that in sync was huge New Teen Titans fans, and that is where a lot of their outfits probably came from too. Yeah, clearly homage. So I thought that was really cool, and also just right off the bat, the opening sequence of that dude being murdered. By toys. By toys, yep. yes. I thought it was actually really well done and super creepy. <laughs> yeah, totally. I it remind have you seen any of the Puppet Master movies? No, I never have. See, neither have I, but I feel like I should. And I'm not sure exactly what the timeline is, but I'm sure one of them influenced the other with this. Seems and very likely. Possibly is why the villain in it, the Puppet Master, is called the Puppeteer instead of the Puppet Master. He's a weird villain to have be used here. He's been around in the DC universe for like a super long time. Mm. He actually first showed up in the very first uh, Green Lantern issue back in 1960. The first Hal Jordan Green Lantern issue. But back then he was called the Puppet Master. And here they seemingly inexplicably say that like, well, now he calls himself the Puppeteer. Which at best seems like a lateral move. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I'm not sure why you would necessarily make that switch. Maybe it was like a guild thing. 
Could have been. You think there was already a puppet master? <laughs> yeah, in? there actually might have been. I think there's yeah. a Marvel villain called the Puppet Master, <laughs> or they wanted to like use the Puppet Master for something else at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or so just... either a guild rule, or he like just wanted to save a little bit of money on like lettering mm-hmm. stuff. The puppet like... Union got restructured. Oh, no typical. Puppet Master anymore. Yeah. But yeah, he was a weird villain, and also, I think before, and I'm totally not up on his previous appearances. He only had two and they were both in the 60s and then they brought him back for this issue as though he was a known entity. But I'm pretty sure before he just would turn people into puppets and control their movements. Mm. I think adding, having him control literal puppets and have them murder people is kind of a new thing for him. Wow, weird. Yeah, because that seemed like uh, that was kind of his his main mode of attack uh, until he met the, the Teen Titans in this I, game. I feel like maybe the people writing the comic were unfamiliar with the character right, yeah. and were just like, well, he's named Puppet Master, so I assume he controls puppets. And at some point, somebody told them, no, that's not what he does. He's like, okay, well, now he also does that. Yeah, totally, yeah. Diversity of tactics. But yeah, weird dude. Yeah, there, there were a bunch of weird things going on. So it seemed to me like they kind of changed track at one point. Mm -hmm. Did you think the Puppet Master was going to be the actual bad guy in this as you were reading the story? Initially, yeah. And then suddenly, um, like, he he was sort of like middle middle management or like a a contractor with with Hive. I totally (laughs) thought he had been framed because it just seemed like so obvious. I thought they were actually setting up the Quester guy Mm -hmm. to be the bad guy. And then it just seemed so odd, like when they went to his apartment and then I like to call the character who uh, assaulted them and then exploded. Uh-huh. He was kind of a wedding reception <laughs> robot. Yeah, definitely. It yeah. was just like he was dressed in formal wear, but he'd clearly been relaxing, <laughs> maybe having a couple of drinks. Yeah. He's got his necktie untied. Just, yeah. Just chilling. Yeah. Why was that robot so chill? Like, what was he doing before they got He'd there? had a hard robot day. Yeah, fair. <laughs> And he just wanted to chill out in his robot apartment, <laughs> yeah. have, have a couple of shots of oil. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure exactly what was going on with him. It seemed to me like there was some misdirection going on, or even maybe they changed their minds in the middle of writing the story. Mm-hmm. And I was totally sure that the Puppet Master was going to be a patsy. I, I feel like it's a trope in comics if you introduce a character and say that he's a reformed villain and, oh no, it looks like he's back to his evil ways then that means that he's not actually back to his evil ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was definitely a moment in this where I absolutely thought that he was going to um, he was gonna switch sides and, and then end up helping out the, the yeah. Titans. Yeah, no, but instead he gets killed off panel, presumably. Yeah. Like, in a way that makes happened. it very easy for them to bring him back if they change their yeah, minds exactly. later. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. The very um, beginning was... I, I really, really enjoyed this this very first panel with the where he's jumping out of the moonroof on his convertible. Yeah, it's not a convertible though. They say it's no. a convertible. He is clearly just flying out of the sunroof. Of yeah, it. totally. We talked about this a little bit in the last issue. There is like a Pontiac Firebird logo painted <laughs> on the hood of a Bentley. <laughs> yeah, what is it? Yeah. Well, Beast Boy, mm-hmm. Garfield Logan is exactly kind of the immature rich kid who would insist that a Firebird logo be painted on the hood of his Bentley. <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> to make it look fast. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he flies out of the sunroof of it and then turns that into a leap and then addresses his butler slash babysitter. 
Yeah, what is Slash that guy? Dad's secretary. Yeah, my my favorite part of it is the comparison uh, between like like metaphorically traffic was murder, and then immediately uh, the dad's secretary guy is like, that's not the only thing that was murder, and then proceeds <laughs> to describe a literal murder. <laughs> there is such inconsistently handled severity of crime in this. Yeah, totally. Like the way they discuss murder. At one point, the, the same guy, Werner Quester, who I also am having difficulty getting a handle on. There are times where it seems like they are setting him up to be a total villain. Yeah. And there are times where it just seems like he's a bit of comic relief. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly not sure which way they're going with the character at this point. But th- at one point, he's describing how important Prometheum is, which I do want to get back to in a right. second. Yeah. Because their description of it defies all logic Mm -hmm. and science Mm -hmm. but he talks about how important prometheum is he's like and that's why the awful deaths of four of our committee members bothers me so (laughs) so if it wasn't for that you would not be bothered by these murders of four of your buddies at all you gotta break a few eggs you don't need to explain why murder bothers you murder bothering you can just be your default setting yeah yeah absolutely it's a pretty well established norm i think yeah Let's go back to the Prometheum. Mm-hmm. So it is a regenerating energy source, and a, I guess it can regenerate physical matter as well. Mm-hmm. And it could be used to regenerate organs for surgery. Yeah. You could coat a car in it, <laughs> and that would be good for some reason. Okay, I can see reasons why it would be good to sure. have a car that could regenerate its yeah. structure. It says that that would eliminate car accidents. Yeah. In what way would that eliminate car accidents? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like uh, like that makes a whole lot of sense. It also seems like an incredibly wasteful use of what is, I'm sure, a very expensive material. Yeah, yeah. And it would make that car indestructible. Yeah. That would not eliminate car accidents. Yeah. You could still do hit and runs. You could still kill a lot of people. It would just mean if you were driving the car that had been treated in that you would win if there were a Yeah, car yeah, exactly, right. Um, and then if you made a nuclear bomb out of it, that nuclear bomb would never stop exploding. Yeah. I don't I didn't really understand what the logic was behind that. There is some confusing science going yeah, on. Yeah, definitely. Here. But that's Prometheum for yeah. you. Yeah. I mean I also just really liked like like the origin of this substance and the reason that it's named that is like taken from this very uh, minor detail of like a mythological story. But like that, like the precise minor detail that it's taken from is like it's it's a method of uh, of torture and punishment of like Prometheus in order yeah. to punish him for what stealing fire or something. He was a titan who was buddies with the Greek gods. Yeah, yeah. And then he stole fire from them and gave it to human beings because he's like human beings are pretty sweet. They should have fire. Totally. All right, bad move. We did not yeah. know what to do with yeah. that shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, seriously, we should not have been trusted with that. Uh, it was really all downhill from there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that they would it would be named Prometheum because his liver grew back. Yeah, yeah, it's like a very uh, minor detail of the story that um, has been seized upon in a very strange way. <laughs> and there are perfectly reasonable things why, why this amazing substance. If you want to call it Prometheum, you could say it's because it's very strong. Like Prometheus was very strong. Yeah. You could say it's because it is a wonderful gift that is almost from the heavens. Yeah, it's a revolutionary technology yeah, that, it that will change everything. It doesn't have to be about his liver getting <laughs> yeah, eaten <totally>. by birds. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty weird, too. Yeah, and Beast Boy is so blasé about the murders and so 
reluctant to investigate them or even acknowledge them as being a problem. <laughs> yeah, he's a really weird character. Yeah, he's a he's he's a weird guy. He's had a rough life. Yeah, I, I get it. His parents died, and then his legal guardian tried to kill him, Bummer. and then he got adopted by some more people, yeah. and then they died. Yeah. So he's had a rough go of it. I mistook him for a Hulk when I first saw him. So it's subtle, but you can tell them apart. The Hulk is a little bit bigger. Unfair. <laughs> and slightly less articulate. Yeah. And not quite as prone to making pop culture references. Right, yeah. <laughs> also doesn't turn into a gorilla. These are just a couple of the tells that he has. Yeah. Speaking of turning into a gorilla, when he turns into a gorilla, his dialogue to me, I fucking love this. And normally he's like a wisecracking and it gets on my nerves. Mm-hmm. And makes pop culture references that are really just seem to be timestamps to just be like, no, I understand teens. This is what's happening in the 80s. Right, fellow kids. Maybe if it came out, (laughs) maybe if I was reading this as it came out in the 80s, these would be contemporary. Yeah. But it seems to me like something that a writer now would put into a story set in the 80s to Uh be like, no, it's the 80s. Get it? Yeah, right. It's just so overt. But when the puppets try to kill him the first time, all of his dialogue as a gorilla Sounds like it could have come out of a film noir. <laughs> it seems like it could be like Humphrey Bogart saying, Figures, even in my own room, I'm a target for murder. Only this isn't funny. Someone using me as a living skeet target. And that's not exactly high on my list of likes. Okay, someone not, wants to know me as Gar Logan. Deceased. But who? Why? <laughs> Somebody once explained to me that all of the lyrics to Suffragette City would make more sense if they were read as a gangster. <laughs> Oh my god. And they totally do. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Don't lean on me, man. You can't afford the ticket. <laughs> Wham, bam, thank you, man. <laughs> but, so, okay, Guard drops a number of pop culture references that seem to put timestamps on this as being the early mm-hmm. 80s. He talks about, the first one is he references Rodney Dangerfield, who, of course, all the teens love. Yeah, naturally. Uh, Dr. Joyce Brothers. Oh my god, that's so bizarre. I missed uh, that one. <laughs> Valerie Bertinelli. Yeah. Which, the way that he referenced that made me think that Valerie Bertinelli went missing for a period in the 80s. I had the same thought, yeah. And, and if that's the case, I am completely unaware of that. So if you guys want to write in and tell us when Valerie Bertinelli went missing, or if she was like a recluse, yeah, or like, was he thinking of Agatha Christie? <laughs> like in what way she was hard to find? Like maybe... <laughs> It's possible that Marv Wolfman just wanted to stalk Valerie Bertinelli and was having a difficult time finding her whereabouts. So he used as an example, well, we all know how difficult it is to sneak into her apartment, right? (laughs) This is a universal experience we all have. Yeah, this is well known. But the other reference he dropped, which I had to look up, was the Kuklapolitan Players. Yeah, that was new to me, too. The Kuklapolitan Players were a puppet show that was on tv from the late 40s to to the mid 50s very popular with teens in the 80s oh man they couldn't get enough of that (laughs) i like to try to figure out explanations to not just well that was a mistake but try to figure out how it makes sense and garfield's adopted mom oh his name's garfield too which is always confusing to me because i always think of the cat first right but his adopted mom was a actress Hmm. so maybe she had had a guest spot And he'd he'd picked it up in showbiz talk from her. Right, yeah. It would make sense, and that would also make why he was talking like a 50s film noir guy, if if Gar Logan was a big film buff. Because he is a professional actor. Oh, the the, the character is? Yes. Oh, okay, I did not know that. Okay, having green skin and green hair, 
limits your roles in some way. Yeah, I would imagine. But it did help him out. His superhero costume is actually the costume that he wears on the set of the science fiction show that he stars in. Which is like, it's a ripoff of Star Trek that's called like Space Trek 2020. Oh my god. That's his officer's uniform from that show. Which I think is actually kind of a nice touch. Yeah. But so... When, if, he's, when he's fighting crime, he's also doing promo for his show. Exactly. It's all publicity. Show, he's like uh, doing kind of PR for the crime fighting apparatus. Exactly. It's synergy. Yeah. Totally. Great. Yeah. Excellent it, branding. Yeah. So there's a way where you can view what he was doing as character building. Mm. And I'm trying to see it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but... Otherwise, it is just a weird instance, and I suspect what's actually happening is just Marf Wolfman remembers that from his childhood, and he's just being like, kids still like what I like, Yeah, totally, right, right, right. <laughs> what did you think of Wonder Girl's boyfriend? Oh, I loved him. Teddy Long. Yeah, he was incredible. Terry Long, sorry. Terry, yeah, Terry Long. Earlier, we, we were talking, and I was trying to think of who he reminded me of, and it was it was Kenny Loggins. Yeah, uh, I, I tend to think of his master status as being a ginger. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah fair I, It takes... It takes Kenny Loggins out of the equation. (laughs) But if you just think of him as a man with a well-manicured beard. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can can see that. And his, like, his, like, uh, like, painted on clothing and everything. Yeah, yeah, with the wide lapels. Yeah. It's, yeah, and he was kind of like an older man that that uh, that that is dating a was, teenage girl. Yeah, yeah, that seemed like that was. Are, are you specifically going on. casting aspersions on Kenny Loggins in that regard? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but <laughs> is that what the song "Danger Zone" is about? <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> yeah, it creeps me out, man. I, I'm trying to like see the good in their relationship, and like I know like yeah. there can be like age differences, and I understand that. Dawn is a very mature teenager, but they're never actually saying what her age is. Yeah, right. Terry only gets a couple of pages in this issue. Yeah. They seem to spend a lot of this time having other characters try to explain why him dating a teenager isn't creepy. (laughs) Like in other issues they do also? He's only appeared in, I think, one other (laughs) issue before. Okay, yeah, yeah. But in in this issue specifically, it's his conversations with Starfire are her just being like... I think you seem like a nice man who isn't creepy. Yeah. And and Donna saying, like, he thought I was much older when we started dating. (laughs) Like, nearly as old as him. He's like, what? At least 29. I was like, he's in his (laughs) mid-30s. Minimum. (laughs) Yeah, like, his his entire appearance in this definitely seemed like uh, foreshadowing for him to be some kind of a liability in the future. Like, whether it's, like, he can be used as like a like an emotional leverage or something you know or or if he just turns out to be a, a grotesque villain himself yeah i don't think he does there's okay. there's a lot of pushback against their relationship and some of it i totally understand and i think part of it is like not just the age difference but the fact that he's a college professor and i think she was his student right. at one point oh god which creates just a very uncomfortable power dynamic yes, in their relationship totally, yeah but and, I feel... and is he a photographer? They were in like a rented photo studio? Oh, no, no, no. She is a photographer. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Which we right. just found out last yeah. issue. She has like 30 years of backstory, and this is the first time it's come up that she is a fashion photographer. Mm, you know. But she is. Yeah. And she's decided that Starfire is going to be a uh, a model. Yeah. Which she certainly has a unique look. Yeah. What's interesting is I think that she kind of has a secret identity as a fashion model, despite the fact that she has... Bright orange skin, her eyes have no pupils, and her hair is made of fire. Yeah. Oh, oh, her hair is made of fire. I'm pretty sure. Okay, gotcha. Space yeah. fire. Space fire, right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of it, too. Yeah. <laughs> True. 
It seems like those would be liabilities if you were trying to keep your identity a secret. Yeah. And so maybe that'll get explored more later, whether or not. Because she's new to Earth. Yeah. She comes from space. Um, <laughs> you know, space. Yeah. But I mean, we can get into like where exactly, but you probably haven't been right. there. It's like, you know, I'm from space. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like these things would be liabilities if you're trying to maintain a secret identity. So hopefully that isn't, she isn't trying to. But even if she isn't trying to, all of the people around her are. Mm -hmm. So you would think that the ancillary characters in their lives would be like, hey, you look exactly like that person who's always hanging out with this very famous model. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then fighting crime with her. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's some correlation there. Right. Yeah, for, for like for like a clandestine organization, it doesn't actually seem like great security protocol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, maybe don't shame your headquarters. I don't think we actually see it in this issue, but their headquarters is a skyscraper that is shaped like a giant T. Oh my god. <laughs> Architecturally problematic. Yeah. But also... Not the best way to keep yeah, looking. Yeah, a little, little conspicuous. Especially as a counterpoint, their mentors, the Justice League, live in a... Their headquarters is a satellite that's out in space that nobody knows about. Oh my god. <laughs> right. So, interesting yeah. juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah, you'd think that they could get some advice on that. Yeah. So, this is your introduction to the characters. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Cyborg? Um, Cyborg seemed like uh, uh, he was really on... He was like going through a journey of trying to... Like there was that whole scene where he was like, uh, like in a school helping children learn to like accept their themselves and their differences. Right. What were they like amputees or something? Yeah, I think they're amputees. They yeah, all okay. have prosthetic limbs. Okay. All right, he met yeah. them in the last issue. Yeah. Until the last issue, he had been written almost exclusively as a stereotypically angry black man. Right. This issue, he gets away from that a little bit, and starting last issue, really starting last issue. He made an almost immediate transition to the stereotype of magical wisdom Negro. Right, yeah. Who helps As is a, white people trope. on their yeah, journey. Totally. More and, and so that seems to be what he's transitioned to mostly at this point, And now is just very mature and very wise. Mm -hmm. But also, he's practicing some interesting code switching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where Raven says basically like... Why do you talk that way? Yeah. Why are you always wearing baggy jeans? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Basically starts pushing some respectability politics yeah, he really on does. Him. I know. I, I thought that was a really interesting uh, like piece of dialogue that I was like, wow, this is like... This like, entire discussion about slang that they're having yeah. it like seems very racially coded. And, yeah. Um, like... Yeah. It, it, it's very much... A, she brings up overtly the, you're educated and you're nice. Right. But you don't act like it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, and, it's and super he, respectability politics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he, he brings up the, the pretty decent point. It, it, it's a weird one because it's not one that applies to situations other than his. Yeah, yeah. Because he says, like, no, I use slang because it makes me feel more human. Yeah. Which is like, oh, okay, that actually does make sense in your specific thing where you're trying to not be a robot. Yeah, right. You're a but robot. There, there are aspects of his character that don't make a lot of sense for the specific way that he almost seems to do reverse code switching mm -hmm. where when he's around his white affluent friends, then he plays up what his idea of street culture yeah, would be. Right. Because he was actually 
raised very wealthy. Uh-huh. He, he, like, his dad was a brilliant scientist who has a ton of money. He's actually the one who built them the T-shaped skyscraper. Yeah. He was a star athlete in college who then got injured and turned into a cyborg. And then he, after his dad died, he inherited all of his dad's money. Wow. And then moved to a slum. Mm. Because he doesn't want to use his dad's money. He wants to keep it real. Yeah. Which... He's talking what he thinks young black people talk like. Yeah. But but only but when it's only terrible yeah. Slang. yeah totally. Like the slang that he uses is like Mickey Spillane slang. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he he talks like a even more than Gar, he talks like a gangster from the thirties. Yeah. He talks like a very old man. He keeps using the phrase <laughs> blasted. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a it's a he's a very complicated character. And 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 the way that they're trying to engage with it seems really complicated also. And I guess in a way I kind of liked how at the end of that scene like uh like they don't really go to pains to like um to to resolve it. Like they they yeah. leave they leave some space for for him to just be like I I like talking like this. This yeah. is this is how I want to talk, yeah. you know. <laughs> Back up. I yeah. like talking this way. Totally. I'm half a robot. Yeah. I do what I want. <laughs> The other thing about him, though, is he brought... So, Raven is an empath. She has healing properties. Uh-huh. She's not particularly well-known at this point in the DC universe. So, I think the only way that the kids in his class would have heard about her <laughs> and that she has magical healing properties like is if he told them that. <laughs> and he also knows that she can't heal their disabilities. <laughs> But he lets them think that she can. It's really perverse, yeah. And brings her to the classroom. Yeah. yeah, that's a really weird spin on tough love. It's really weird. To, like, both ways. It seems like it's a dick move to the kids. Yeah. And it's a dick move to Raven to blindside her with. Yeah. He's like, so, I've really enjoyed spending time with these children. They seem really rad. I don't understand why you brought me here. He's like, oh, it's because they think they can he- that you can heal their wounds. And I thought it would be best if you told them to their face that you can't. <laughs> Oh, did you tell yeah. him that I can't? Nope. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's like just pretty sadistic, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really weird move on his part. <laughs> and we get Kid Flash, who is going through a lot of ennui and can't decide if he wants to be a superhero or not yeah. anymore. But is very, very quickly convinced to just go back to being a superhero. Yeah. Th- this has come up with him before because he's decided he's never going to use his powers af- again. Yeah. Before. How, back, do, how does that work with him? Like, like, does does he like if he decides he's not going to use his powers, does he just like walk really slow? Like, I think really so. Slow all the time? I, I think so. <laughs> Like, so, I, I wonder really if he gets it right. Yeah. Because like, it's got to be difficult to, like, yeah. pinpoint it. Like, it seems like he would always be moving either a little bit too fast yeah. or a little bit too slow. Yeah. And and people around him would just be like, are you making fun of me? Why, <laughs> Why are, are you, you doing- walking like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely was wondering uh, uh, how that worked for him when, it, it when he was on like a leave, leave of absence or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, in his civilian identity too, it's got to be really difficult for him. Yeah, I, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, hats off to you, Walt. <laughs> Live your truth, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's there was another phrase that I really enjoyed. They're just smashing puppets, mm-hmm. which is fun. Yeah. During that scene, it's like they confront the puppet master in his lair his yeah. puppet den or whatever it is <laughs> they bust through the wall like kool-aid man yeah and then just stand there and they're like hey puppet man we're here to take you down and i think starfire says 
I, I don't understand why we're just standing here. Yeah, totally, yeah. Like, why, why aren't we attacking him? <laughs> and nobody has a good answer. No. So, like, soon they start attacking him. Yeah. But I thought it was a weird self-referential thing. And there were a few different weird, like, meta self-referential things that came up in this issue. This frame in particular also. Yeah. Where, where, where they, they take great pains to establish that this is not a comic. <laughs> but comic books do exist yeah, in exactly, this world. Yeah. And normally a comic book character is much smarter yeah, than Beast Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a kind of interesting touch and it also is interesting to establish Beast Boy as being pretty dumb. Yeah. Which they go to pains to do a couple of different times. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, so they bust through the wall, they confront the puppet man, and then they just immediately start smashing all of his evil puppets. <laughs> which he's like, oh no, you made a big mistake. You confronted me here where all of my toys are. <laughs> okay, here's the thing about them you should maybe go back to trying to control them. Because that worked pretty well for you yeah. when you were taking over their bodies. Yeah. These puppets that you made aren't doing jack shit. Like, yeah. yeah, if they surprise somebody, they can be pretty effective if they shoot them. Yeah. Bottom line... And if they don't have superpowers. Yeah. These are people <laughs> who have superpowers, and your puppets are still fucking puppets. Yeah, totally, yeah. It's they're a, a foot tall, and they're made out of wood. <laughs> they just smash and step on them pretty easily. Yeah, it doesn't take very long. Yeah. Although I do I do really like the... Um, the panels where there is the the giant final battle with the puppets happening, and there's the bizarre narration of uh, of what what all of the heroes are experiencing while they're smashing the puppets, and there's the one that's like uh, uh, the others lash out with equal ferocity. They have bred themselves to honor all life, but these toys, these mechanical puppets, are only a blasphemy. Yeah. <laughs> like, because they're not alive, I guess. Yeah, yeah but yeah. they're acting like they right. are. Right, yeah, totally. These puppets are fronting pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that is followed by one of, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, which is the dialogue where it talks about how they all use their powers. And then when it gets to Raven, it's... Oh, just... yeah, it's like nobody knows what the, the fuck she's doing. Pretty but much. It's working. <laughs> it says, be it strength or energy or or even a power that defies any plausible explanation. <laughs> I love it when Nobody they do really shit like that. gets what her thing is, but I mean, it, it does work. It right, does so work. if I write it in ways that don't make any sense, not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else gets it either. <laughs> it's such an obvious do's ex machina that uh, I... I really love that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've covered most of what I had wanted to talk about in my notes. Are you mm -hmm. ready to get into the minutiae? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. So, friend of the show, Rick Hansen, has written a minutiae song. So, <laughs> Rick, take it away. One, two, three. We got minutiae. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutiae. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutiae. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thank you, Rick. So... Let's start with the show and tell. What was your favorite moment that, like an R. Kelly trapped in the closet verse, <laughs> is redundant in that it states explicitly what it is also showing in pictorial form? Um, here, can I find it in here real quick? Absolutely. Um, I think that for me, the one that seemed really ridiculous and pretty hilarious was actually on the page where where they're they're having the interaction with Wonder Girls, the, her maybe kind of creepy older boyfriend uh, mm -hmm. Terry Terrence, and in the final panel of that one, Wonder Girl and Space Princess. Yes, Space what? Princess, I believe is her. Name. <laughs> 
<laughs> is that what is her name? Her, her name is Starfire, but she Starfire. is actually a space princess. <laughs> Sorry, so you're bad. not that far off. She is a, that was, her name is Princess Coria. That was not very woke, but that's how we grow. Anyway, they're flying away. They've been flying away for a minute and having a conversation as they fly away. And then the final frame is uh, Terry looking out the window uh, at them as they fly away. And there's a caption under it that says, And watching Terrence long smiles as the two slim figures fade into the afternoon mists. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, pretty pretty redundant. <laughs> yeah. My favorite of those, it's a scene where Starfire is fighting a mind-controlled uh, Wonder Girl. Uh-huh. And she thinks to herself, <laughs> as she is being dragged down to Earth by Donna's magic lasso, Donna dragging me down with her magic lasso. <laughs> totally. A yeah. plus. A plus. I, I think R. Kelly would be proud. <laughs> All right. Sound effects. What was your favorite sound effect? Um, for me, it was, I, I had three that I really liked. Okay, I had, I had three also. I wonder to what extent they, they match up. <laughs> On, um, page 11, when the cyborg is getting captured by the Batman puppet that is, uh, I don't know, tasing him with mind control devices or something. Right, like puppets do. Yeah, as one does. He's, he's suffering with some kind of explosion and, and in the background it says, Spoo-oom. I really like that one. Well, that, that was... is what the noise that it makes when a Batman puppet takes over the mind <laughs> of a cyborg. It's a very faithful uh, <laughs> rendering of that, I think. It's, I mean, that is just good Foley work. Yeah. I also really liked uh, the sound effect, the changeling destroying the puppet, robot puppet that's trying to kill him in the in the beginning on page mm-hmm. three that says uh, skung, like S-K-U-N-G-H. Yep. That was a really nice one, I thought. Skung. And then the other one that I liked, which I just thought was strange, was in the very final panel as uh, Terminator has the Project Prometheum plans. Sure. He's simultaneously talking, and also there is a sound effect <laughs> happening behind him that's Ha, 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 ha. Like, simultaneously? <laughs> and I don't know where it's coming from. I or, think maybe <laughs> that's the noise. It, what What isn't shown in this is a lot of his suit is corduroy. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's just the noise it makes when he's walking. He goes, ha, 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 ha. That <laughs> seems, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, that, that is really... That helps that me understand this. honestly part. would never have occurred to me. <laughs> now, speaking of ha, ha, ha... You have a character you've worked on a lot. We've really workshopped together <laughs> called Condescending Joker. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is true, yeah. <laughs> now, Brian, is Condescending Joker here right now? Can we talk to him? <laughs> Where does he get those toys? <laughs> oh, it's, we'll, we'll workshop it a yeah, little okay, bit more. Okay, yeah. Interestingly enough, the three sound effects that I had are totally different. All right, great. So the ones that I, I found most intriguing were... Shoes'em! I think that's what it is. It's S H O O O S S M M. Yeah. And that is the noise it makes when a mind controlled cyborg throws a tree. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it shoots them. <laughs> uh, which is a really cool looking panel. The other sound effect that I really enjoyed, it's not necessarily the most imaginative one, but it is whoomp. Yeah. And that is the noise it makes when Robin hits cyborg in a vulnerable area oh that's right yeah this was it is very difficult to tell what that vulnerable area was what did you think was happening in that panel 
Well, yeah, that was a that was definitely one of the moments where I had to kind of pause and go back and read it and see if it was spelled out um, and see if like if I could get like a like definitive accurate understanding of what had happened. But I couldn't. And, right. But the the interpretation that seemed like it made most sense is um, is Cyborg is is holding Robin up kind of against sure. the wall by his neck. Right. And uh, Robin's feet are dangling. Pretty, not too far below Cyborg's groin. And right. So it looked pretty, pretty yeah. conclusive. He kicked him in the dick. Yeah, yeah. That was, that just, was where I got you. Yeah. He just kicked him right in the goddamn dick. Yeah. And, and the response is Vic Stone's eyes bulge. He staggers. He sways. Then finally collapses. <laughs> and everybody talks about just how mad he's going to be yes. at Robin when he wakes up. <laughs> it really seems like he just hit him right in the crotch. But it doesn't spell that out at any point yeah. and it's specifically he's talking about areas where he isn't armored yeah and it really looks, looks like, like his crotch armored. is yeah, armored yeah that's what i don't get yeah like he, his outfit a good third of his outfit is basically a cod piece yeah like, like did, he, <laughs> did he give him like a charlie horse i don't get it, it it's weird like <laughs> honestly the thing that would make the most sense for him having a vulnerable area would be his armpit yeah like it's it, really not armored. Yeah, it, it's it's one yeah. of the few places other than like his upper thigh, which doesn't seem like it would be a problem. Yeah, where he's not armored, or like the deep V neck that he's of, yeah of robot suit right, that he's wearing. But I don't think he could kick him there, you know. But from all context, it really does seem like he kicked him in the balls. Yeah, that so that was, that was how I read it. That's interesting, but that makes a whoop sound. Yeah, and then it's not so much the sound effect itself, but it's just. The word crash, the way that it's written in the panel. Yeah. And the idea of a crash actually making a crash noise, which I never think of that as being an onomatopoeia. I really enjoyed that. It's when they Kool-Aid their way through the wall or... I guess X Factor their way through a wall. Yeah. It's very, uh, it's very like uh, Flintstones sign painterly. Also, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because you can see the motion yeah. marks around the word crash. Yeah, like the letters are actually appearing, and I love it whenever they blur that line. Yeah. So I, I, I thought those sound effects were an awful lot of fun. I think it's time to take this operation into the bozone. <laughs> now the bozone. Unfortunately, there is not a literal Bozone moment in this. It's the characters in this. I've discussed with you a little bit already that they tend to talk like old men Mm -hmm. when they try to sound like they're talking in slang. In almost every issue, at least once one character calls another character a Bozo. (laughs) Really? Yes. Wow. Sadly, that does not happen in this issue. Yeah, it's too bad. But... What is your favorite zinger? What is your favorite insult that one character delivers to another insult? The equivalent of calling them a bozo. Oh well, I may, see. I may have I may have misinterpreted um, the zinger thing because uh, the thing that that sprang to my mind most. I mean, th- there was definitely a lot of uh, making fun of Robin for not wearing any pants. Sure, and, and that was kind of nice. Like I think would happen if one of your friends habitually <laughs> refused to wear pants. Yeah, zero pants. And like. <laughs> Maybe, like what is it? it was like a green scaly cod piece or something? I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I he would probably think, get some shit for that. Well, it's understandable though that he would want to specifically make sure that that area was armored, yeah. especially given his own fighting tactics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Fair is fair. But yeah, I don't know. That I guess what I wrote down was something that I already talked about, which was the the very like one of the very early panels the, right after you the, think traffic was murder. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't the only thing that was murder mr logan oh i tell you it's simply awful mr appleton was just killed i think that qualifies
qualifies. Yeah. It's a little bit of a stretch, but it, it is... Somebody's a fucking bozo who's a vote yeah, for that yeah. sentence. And <laughs> it may be it's kind of a dick Beast move. Boy. Yeah. The thing is, Beast Boy already knew that people's lives had been lost. Yeah. And is pretty cavalier about the whole thing. Right. So I think that's fair. Yeah. My favorite bozo moment or trip to the bozone, it's a two-parter. One is Beast Boy saying to Robin, Why are we turning tail? We could have stopped that schmo. Which is another very old man thing to say yeah um and i <laughs> really enjoyed we're that not calling one another schmoes <laughs> i don't think so it's such a specific <laughs> reference yeah that schmo but robin's rejoinder to him is is this an actor or are you really this thick mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just says that matter of factly yeah like as are they're you falling that out of a window fucking i think dumb yeah yeah they're both falling out of right. a window because Wedding reception robot had just tried to murder them. Yeah, and was about to explode. Yeah. Yeah. So I I really enjoyed that. Both the schmo and the are you really this thick. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Really, really nice stuff on both of their parts. What was your favorite panel? Um, I think once again, I may have already spoiled it, but I did, I really, really loved the ones where the puppets were, were, were called a <laughs> I think blasphemy. you called it puppet blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, puppet blasphemy. <laughs> like, an abomination against God and nature. Yeah, that was a really fun panel, too, and actually really beautifully drawn, and yeah. there's so much going on in it. Yeah, they're just fucking up a bunch of toys and yeah, flashes and several the spaces shit at out of them. Yeah, it's on yeah, page it's 23. Too. It's got... All of the Titans in it, and about a hundred goddamn toys. It's they do not skimp on the background characters in this. <laughs> it's really nicely done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one as well. That was one of my favorites. The other ones, I think they have all come up already in this. <laughs> yeah, the Shuzum one where Cyborg throws the tree. It's just really cool looking. Yeah, it's there's all of this like negative energy crackling around him, so that you can tell that he's mind controlled. Right. I love how that negative energy also like whenever they're mind controlled, that you can also see like the negative energy is forming puppet strings above them. Yeah, and making them look like <laughs> literal marionettes, yeah. which doesn't make any sense because no. he is not above them. Yeah, totally. Like, where where do they go? <laughs> right. It's his his powers work through metaphor. Yeah, which I really enjoy. Yeah. There's also another thing, and this is, I think, the one of the first times that it's come up, which I had never known that Raven's outfit is supposed to be black, but it calls her oh, black-cloaked. Yeah. Weird. Uh, and it's clearly blue, but that's something that happens in comic books a lot, which, in order to provide contrast between the shading, black will often be colored as dark blue. Yeah, totally. But I had always assumed that her cloak was dark blue, but no, it's supposed to be black, so... Hmm. That's kind of weird. Yeah, totally. But her soul is um, is not rendered in blue. No, no. Her, her astral soul is black. That's another weird thing. She sends her soul self out to do some shit and yeah. like, get help. Presumably her body just collapses there yeah, in the park yeah. unattended. <laughs> yeah, and why isn't Cyborg like... Yeah, I'm like, not, I don't I'm know not. why Cyborg isn't attacking that. I, yeah. Like, yeah. That's not a good place to nap. Definitely. And also, like, yeah, why doesn't the puppet master go and take over her body then when her soul's out of it seems like that would be extra easy and then right. she couldn't gather the forces well and it seemed like the whole reason that she decided to do the like astral projection travel thing is what because like it's faster yeah um but it's then... faster <laughs> than teleporting yeah <laughs> which doesn't make any which she can also I do know. yeah i don't get it but then like later on 
like page 17, she disappears again. And then there's this hilarious phrase, which is uh, traveling twixt dimensions as easily as you might cross tween streets. Yep. <laughs> Some nice um, apostrophic uh, abbreviations right there. Too. Well, I think they might be trying to imply that the narrator is from space. That would make sense. Yeah. This is how we do uh, lingo with space teens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or uh, space tweens. Space tweens, yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Tween street? Just a street filled with tweens? That's absolutely horrifying. Yeah, totally. I don't understand any of their references. (laughs) Their their social media platforms are completely unknown to me. Yeah, their memes are beyond imagination. Oh, God. And the other favorite panel that I had, which has also come up, is is the way it's drawn when they first encounter wedding reception robot. Yeah. It's really cool. There's the shadow of the the grid of the window over his face. It's a really film noir looking panel. It's very noir. And yeah. it's really cool looking. And what he's saying is, no, the man who is going to kill you. <laughs> You can tell it's, it's Robin points out that he has an electronic voice. Yeah. But there not are until gashes later. between each of his words. Mm-hmm. So it like something's definitely going on with it. But that doesn't stop Beast Boy from turning into a snake and trying to bite it. <laughs> and it doesn't work out that well because he's not made it he's made out of metal. And even then he doesn't figure it out. <laughs> He, de- he definitely has such, like, a casual, like, kind of uh, Mad Men After Five vibe in that panel, though. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I've, I've had a hard day at the robot office. <laughs> now I just want to relax with a cocktail or two. But these fucking teen heroes. <laughs> these meddling teens. <laughs> Good thing I brought my space gun with me, which completely ruins the look if you're just trying to look like a regular yeah, dude. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a pretty inexplicable outfit, but that's one of the things that I really like about that look and that panel. Yeah. Which segues into, sartorially speaking, mm-hmm. that is one of the fashion choices that I wanted to bring up. It's come up before, but I love it whenever Beast Boy rocks the turtleneck with a thin gold chain. Very good. Classy look. Definitely, yeah. Classy look. Looks like he's ready to go clubbing. Absolutely. What were some things that you noted? Um, well, I mean, as we've already talked about, the Terrence's Kenny Loggins vibe with yep. the tight white uh, shirt, sleeves rolled up. Sleeves rolled up, uh, shirt unbuttoned. Yeah, jeans that may actually just be like leggings. Proto-jeggings. Yeah, yeah, proto-jeggings. And it's the early yeah. 80s, so they didn't, most people didn't have access to them. <laughs> yeah, he had a very good look. I also liked the um, the Puppet Master's puppet assistant and his like fast food Cub Scout soda jerk Hitler youth kind of suit that he was wearing. It, it, I also enjoyed that look. <laughs> now, just to be clear, you're equating all of those things, right? Definitely, yes. Yeah, they're all those are all just synonyms, right? James O'Keefe, <laughs> Georgia O'Keefe. Uh, he looks like a vagina flower. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that puppet looks like he's going to go and, and make some some uh, gotcha right-wing scam videos. Yep, yep. <laughs> and and stop some other teens from swing dancing. Definitely. That too. <laughs> That's, it is fucked up that my go-to for when people mention the Hitler Youth is, oh, like in the movie Swing, swing Kids. Kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those guys were dicks. They hated Benny Goodman. I have a new appreciation for that movie. It's a total tangent, but but it's based on... Uh, do you know about like the Edelweiss Pirates? 
No. I mean, it's it's what those kids were based on, but they were like these freaks who like went and lived out in the country. Uh, they just all like helped each other out and they would um, go into town to beat up Hitler youth and beat up Nazis and stuff. But they just all like lived outside of town. And, and they, they loved were, swing music? They loved swing music, yeah. <laughs> That's rad. Yeah, it's great. They're incredible. You I, can find pictures of them. They're amazing. <laughs> all right. I'm going to look that up because that yeah. sounds rad. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm also going to watch Swing Kids. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I've been meaning to watch Like I haven't seen it since I was like 14 or something. I mean, we I mean we should watch, watch that later. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, th- those are all valid fashion points to bring up. <laughs> I also liked, it's such a one-off panel, but I described it as, I think it's towards the end. Yeah, it's on the very last page. And I don't know if the dude is a fireman or yeah, a security I guard. That guy too. But I said that he was dressed as Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> dressed up as one of the S1Ws from Public Enemy. Yeah. <laughs> the security of the first world. <laughs> also, like a little bit of like village people in there, too. It's like, a really strange great. look. Yeah. It's like a security guard uniform, but it's a bright red jacket. Yeah. And he's calling about a, and and he's directing the firemen. Yeah. So I'm not sure what's going on. Those are absolutely tearaway pants. Oh, we're oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I assume they get torn off later. Yeah. Possibly. All right, I have a new backstory for this character. (laughs) Fair. He is a stripper who is dressed as a fireman, (laughs) who is on his way. To strip at a bachelorette party. Yeah, and he just does what needs to be done. On his way there, <laughs> the other firemen are like, you look like you're dressed like one of us, but you're not wearing clothes that would be good in a fire, so you must be like a higher up. Yeah, definitely. Tell us what to do. And he's like, all right, I'll do my best. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so that is clearly what is going on yeah. with that, that guy. And that is why he is one of my choices for sartorially speaking. Yeah, he's, he's good. Yeah. Okay, so every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has a Speedy, the mm-hmm. worst Teen Titan. <laughs> and every issue also has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. In this issue, who would you say was the Speedy? Who did the worst job? I kind of feel like Changeling did the worst job. Like, uh, he just sort of half-assed dragged everybody into this uh, this nightmare situation. Didn't really do a good job organizing or informing any, anybody of the situation. You're right, and, and I see where you're coming from. He was on my list. He, yeah. he, he also, at one point borderline sexually harassed one of his co-workers, one of his teammates when he turned into an octopus and it's just like, normally I wouldn't mind groping you like this. Yeah, that's true. It's like, I that's, forgot about that's that. very creepy. Yeah. On the other hand, he did turn into a giant octopus. Yeah. I, Fair. So the, turning into the giant octopus, pretty cool. Yeah. Also, I liked when he turned into a gorilla and talked like Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't quite give him the yeah. worst, although he is very close. I decided to go with Cyborg yeah. because of the whole, I'm going to bring Raven here and not tell these kids who would very much like to have their limbs regrown that she can't, I'm going to imply that she can regrow their limbs, bring her down here, not tell her why, and then have her tell them that so was, that uh... they can understand what real courage is. Yeah. It's the most confusing thing. That's true. That that really... Uh, and, and, and he so, could have thought that through a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and he also <laughs> did... Was the first one to get ter- taken over as a puppet and tried to kill a lot of his teammates. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Really, he tried to kill his teammates the most out of yeah. any of the Titans. So... I'm going to give him the speedy. I think he did the worst job, but I totally see where you're coming from with with Beast Boy. Uh, Conversely, which Teen Titan was the Aqualad? Which Teen Titan did the best job? 
I was I decided to go with Raven actually for that because it, and I mean like it's a, it's related to to my choice of the of Beast Boy for the the worst. Yeah, Beast Boy just kind of did a, a little bit of a half-assed job assembling everybody, and I feel like Raven, you know, astrally projected, went all over the place, yep. got everybody on the same page, got everybody the report backs they needed from the initial situation, called everybody together. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. No, yeah. she rallied the troops. Yeah. I think it was incredibly negligent of her to leave her body unattended for so long. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> I mean, it worked out for her. Yeah. But I, I mean, selfless, but maybe... Uh, maybe maybe not the best move. And really, yeah. it seems like the puppeteer really could have just been like, oh, hey, free body, sweet. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I was going to take that over anyway. Yeah, because he kind of um, mutes their soul and their agency anyway. But so. I think really she was kind of almost working as a cat's paw for him at that point because he wanted the Titans That's brought true. together so he could take them over. Yeah. So... Well, she did rally all of the troops. She was kind of playing into his hands when she did that. Didn't yeah. ultimately work out in her favor, in his favor. But yeah, overall, I agree. She did a pretty good job. I decided to go with Starfire just because she blowed up those puppets real, real good. <laughs> she really did. She, she uh, like, like more than blow. any of the others. They, they had their big <laughs> puppet blasphemy yeah. and then she was like fight. Ah, and then this. she's like i am tired of this i'm going to blow them all yeah. up at once <laughs> and then everybody's a little bit surprised that she did that yeah <laughs> but whoa it's just like oh why didn't you do that before yeah like Bro. yeah <laughs> but she did and uh yeah she blowed up those puppets real real good she really did so uh, i gotta give her the nod there <laughs> I think that's just about it. Was there anything else you wanted to comment on? Well, I kind of, I, I did kind of actually like the the very end of it, where suddenly it turns out that while all this action has been going on and these like elaborate plots and counterplots have been going uh-huh. on, suddenly elaborate and nonsensical yes, plots. Totally. To be fair, because the puppeteer's plan is to steal this stuff. Yeah. At no point does he attempt to actually steal it. He just <laughs> decides to murder people associated with it who don't actually have access yeah. to the material, which he has <laughs> yeah. had from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so, kind of an odd plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then at, at the very end, suddenly, it turns out that uh, Terminator was just able to like take an old book from like an IWW playbook and just <laughs> sabotage one five-cent washer uh, just industrial stab- sabotage and then yep. like, goes in and just like takes whatever he wants. Like, and really sees the means of production. Exactly. He, sees the means. <laughs> he literally sees the means of production. Yes. Yes. Prometheum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that what Karl Marx was talking about? That, it really is. Yeah. I think so. Uh, <laughs> wow. That's like a whole different read on this. <laughs> yeah. He, he does a great job. He's he's not a Marxist. He's actually he's, a very high-priced mercenary. Yeah. He, he's right. like the he's, ultimate libertarian. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> This is an enclosure um, scheme, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he does a good job. And I got to say, he looks great doing He looks it. fantastic, yeah. He it's has, a really he has, nice he has a really good blue costume. and orange outfit. And the Promethean plans are in, in one of those like old drive-through bank teller um, Oh, vacuum canisters. tubes? Yeah, vacuum yeah. tube that you put in yeah. there. Yeah, well, he's, he can take those plans straight to the bank, he, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brian. Yeah, that was, thanks for that having was me. a lot of fun. If uh, people would like to check out some of your music, how would you suggest that they do that? Well, yeah, one of the main things I do is called Dragging an Ox Through Water. There's nothing else called that um, to everything else's credit. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually have a show coming up in Portland on the 4th, and it's going to be a record release party for some uh, very close friends of mine named Jessica Dennison and Jones. If you guys are in the Portland area and have a chance to check it out, it's a really great live show. As Dragging an Ox Through Water, I, I would almost describe it as 
live dub Americana. Oh wow, that's that a, sound. I like that. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Does that sound accurate? Do you I think? can. I can it, see that. Yeah, it, totally. It, it, it was a really fun <laughs> show, and you created your own effects pedals that you use for that, and some of them are photosensitive. Yeah, yeah. And and so the the show is done in the dark, yeah. which is really interesting <laughs> because some of the effects are done by a flickering candle. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really, really cool. Thanks. And you should definitely check out Brian's music. It's, I'm sure, somewhere on the internet, it, too. Yeah, it's findable, um, eminently findable. And it, it's it's definitely worth, worth seeing and worth listening to. Thanks. This is the last week that we are running our special contest, so... If you would like to win the manuscript that has every synopsis that I've written and all of the color photos from the first 60 episodes of the show when it was Teen Titan Wasteland, send in a picture of your screen cap from donating to either the Southern Poverty Law Center or the ACLU, and I will literally put your name in a hat and one winner will be drawn out and I'll send you that book. If you'd like to get in touch with us, either send those pictures to ttwasteland at gmail.com or find me on the internet. <laughs> There's a Facebook. Come on iTunes. I guess you can't contact me through iTunes, but figure out a way. Hey, have fun with that, man. Uh, I'm up on Tumblr and you can find me on Twitter. Uh, also at ttwasteland underscore. We've already got a bunch of entries and thanks guys. I, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, in the immortal words of one teen titan, I can't remember which one. Don't give me that garbage dick. Thanks for joining us, people. See you later. Oh my god. And they know it. Plastic Man in Gold for Dessert. Woozy winks as a waiter at the glittering Gotrocks Ball. Yeah, Plaz, they're giving away piles of gold for dessert. Soon as the word gets out, there'll be lots of greedy characters around. And you want one Plastic Man around for protection. Okay, pal. Clever, Plaz. You carrying in the piles of gold for dessert this way? I'll take that. I want all the gold in the world. Wrong. Huh? Hostess Twinkies cakes. Golden sponge cake. Creamed filling. What treasure. This time you got your just desserts. Please, no jokes. Let me enjoy my Hostess Twinkies cakes and a last taste of freedom. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie cakes. <laughs> Dude, that's so sad. And the last Are they taking taste him to jail? Yes. <laughs> But he's just—he's riding on like a mo on a like a scooter. Well, that's plastic, plastic man. On plastic he man. turned into the scooter to take him. But he doesn't look like he's like trapped on it. He just—he's just enjoying his hostess Twinkie cakes so yeah, much. Yeah, that... exactly. He's trapped by the flavor. <laughs> he's an—he's—he's an—it's sad. He's an addict. It's, yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's addicted to both gold. Yeah. He needs he needs help. I don't really think that incarceration is really going to solve his problem. Well, hopefully he'll be in a facility that values rehabilitation over punitive measures. But uh, I don't think that really is probably going to be the case. <laughs> Maybe the DC universe is different than ours. Yeah, we can hope, I guess. People seem to be willing to give a lot of chances to reformed supervillains. <laughs> Maybe he'll end up as a scientist and he'll get to murder some corporate board members. Damn it, that was totally another thing I wanted to talk about was the like... <laughs> liberal uh, 
hiring policies. With well, and then it didn't occur to anybody that he might be the guy behind it. <laughs> yeah, until totally. then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>